Welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast with Jacob Ayers, providing actionable content to help you along your journey to financial freedom through real estate investing. As the premier asset class, real estate has helped ordinary people just like you amass fortunes. The benefits of passive income from real estate investing will allow you to live a life you want. And now your host, entrepreneur, real estate investor, and apartment deal syndicator, Jacob Ayers. Hi, and welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, episode 382. Hey, welcome back. I'm your host, Jacob Ayers. This week's returning guest is Damian Lupo with us for the fourth time on the show. That's a record right now. So Damian is an awesome guy. I love talking with him. I knew in today's kind of environment with all the things going on, we had to get him back on the show, catch up with him. If you haven't heard of Damian, go check him out on the previous episodes. Damian is a real estate investor, a podcast host, founder of the QRP, and so much more. Damian, hey, welcome back to the podcast. Jacob, it's good to be here, man. Thanks for having me back with this record fourth time. Love yes, absolutely. It's going to be fun. Well, Damian, today we've got some questions from our listeners. Every time you're on the show, I think you change people's paradigms and change the way they think. And you know, I've got a small group of friends and listeners of the show. So they are asking me some questions. I said, well, these are really fascinating questions that Damien could answer. So let's, before we do that, just kind of catch us up on who you are, what you do, your background, for maybe the audience members that aren't familiar with you. So I'm one of these crazy serial entrepreneurs who've had 50 plus companies. I'm a professional investor, been investing in real estate for 20 years. I built a big portfolio. But I mean, before I built my portfolio, I got thrown out of college because I put the bookstore out of business on campus. That's kind of one of my fun stories. I'll and, share it. I don't think I know that know, one. I, I actually, so before Amazon put all the bookstores out of business, right. I was on campus and this is when you buy a book for hundred bucks, you sell it back for 50 and then they sell it to your neighbor for 75. And I said, that's just too juicy for them. Like they're just, I feel like they're abusing people. So I basically said, all right, I'm going to go find a way to serve people and not the company. So I basically went to and flyered the entire campus right before finals. And I said, hey, I'm buying and selling used books. I'll give you more money and I'll charge you less. So I squeezed the margin and people ended up saying, hey, I want to do all my business with you. So instead of going to finals, I really just ran around exchanging books and the administration found out. They said, you got to stop. You're putting the bookstore out of business. This is where they make all their money. And I said, well, that's not my problem. They're screwed <laughs> So and they said, well, you're going to have to leave. And I said, okay. And I finished up my business because it was either shut down the business or leave. And I finished up the business, paid for school in a week. And I realized I was not meant to be on that track. And that's kind of what entrepreneurs do. We end up doing the wrong thing. And when we wake up and listen to the universe, it tends to send us down a path where we solve problems instead of being part of the matrix. That was one of the lessons I got from the universe. And then it led me into doing some other stuff. And real estate came up pretty fast after that. And when real estate happened, I built a $20 million portfolio, had a good time doing it, bought the Ferrari, had the houses and all that stuff. And then I lost $25 million in 2008. So <laughs> if you do the math, you're like, wait, you had $20 million and you lost. So I, I was negative $5 million and I had to start over and then rebuilt my life, my wealth and everything else after that. So I know what it's like to go to zero and beyond. I, I can appreciate people that are in that space or have been through that space. And one of the things that's really frustrating for me is seeing people that are the authority figures that are teaching and they have about five minutes of experience and they claim to know exactly what they're doing. And I go, you haven't been through a cycle. You've barely been through a fall. Like, you know, you think it's summer all the time because that's the only season you've ever been in. 
and I, I'm concerned for what's going on because we're in a bubble in many things and people don't know how to navigate through bubbles because they haven't been through cycles for the most part. So moral of the story is you've been upending the education system since an early age. You can't help. I, I can't help it. I, it's something that I feel like you know, I have to do it in some form or fashion, whether it's disrupting the books or telling the truth, like on FU, on Financial Underdogs, my podcast. It's about what I see, what I hear. I'm still waiting to get disrupted and deplatformed because I tend to say whatever I think. And it's not very popular to say what you think if it's counter to the big tech or the big media or the big government positions. I love it. And we have to give a shout out to the podcast right off the bat. That's the Financial Underdogs podcast, the FU podcast, like quick hitting 10, 15 minute segments of the show. I absolutely love that thing. I've been listening to it lately. And uh, you know, you kind of go on some little tangents of, about all kinds of things, right? Bitcoin, policy, anything, mindset. So yeah, I've been loving the podcast lately. And definitely check that out if you haven't. That's the Financial Underdogs podcast. We'll link it in the show, but I'm a big fan. Damien, you mentioned a bubble, and I want to kind of take that and lead into some listener questions. So as I mentioned, we've got some questions from listeners that have reached out. And the first one comes from Ernest in Houston. It says, Damien, what would you recommend to do with your money in this kind of inflationary environment we're looking at and why? You got to look out and say what's going to make sense in two, three, four, five years, ideally 10 years. It's really hard to predict because technology is disrupting everything. So there's always a good reason to have at least 5% of your portfolio outside of your house in precious metals and gold and silver because it's real. There's no counterparty risk, stuff you hold. So I always think that that's a good idea. Regardless, doesn't matter when in history, doesn't matter who you are, 5 to 10% is a solid number. If you're really, really freaked out, 15%, that's one thing. In real estate, I like the idea of housing and I like the idea of mini storage. The problem with a lot of these spaces right now is people are way overpaying. And it's kind of like when you look at Tesla and it's a thousand times like its price is a thousand times the earning. That means that it's going to take a thousand years for Tesla to produce the earnings to pay for that share. And that's happening in housing where people are in multifamily. So if you're out there chasing, and here's the lesson, the moral, don't chase things. Go and create value. Find the thing that you can create the value for things that are never going to go away. What's never going to go away? Housing. Mini storage is unlikely to ever go away, but it's also very heated up. Office is going to be completely disrupted. It already has been, but I think it's going to get further disrupted. And then look at the demographic trends where people are going. It's funny because I see all these resurgences in places like Ohio and I go, why are people buying in Ohio? But people still live in Ohio. And same thing with Michigan and stuff. But if you look at like, I would not be investing in California right now. I'd be getting my money the hell out of California and putting it in places where you've just got the trend. The trend is your friend. Places like Florida, places like Texas, and I mean, that's where people are moving. They're going from the Northeast and from the West into places that are freer. So where do you put your money into things that have freedom attached to it, not tyranny? So I don't necessarily like things like dollars or government bonds. I like things that like housing in free states and places that don't tax the crap out of you, Texas and Florida, really great examples. And so thinking about that, what's going to actually be around? I like cryptocurrency a lot because our financial system is changing. The challenge right now is that there is a war between the centralized powerful elites like the central banks, the politicians, the big banks. So we're talking Chase, Wells Fargo, uh, Deutsche Bank, the, the Federal Reserve, European Central Bank. All those systems are fighting back to put, they're, they're basically trying to crush the insurgency, if you will, of freedom. And it's kind of crazy, but really everybody that's involved in Bitcoin, not things like Dogecoin and stuff, but things that really have solutions, they're meant to solve problems, putting power back in the people's hands because the financial system has been screwing, raping, and pillaging people for the last century. Now, have your fundamentals changed in, say, the past 12 months or kind of this 
post during COVID era, Damien, on what you're looking for in investments. Is it cash flow? Is it appreciation? Is it tax benefits? Is it hedging against inflation? Do you have anything that comes to mind or have your fundamentals shifted any? Yeah, the fundamentals really stay the same. It's it, your tax policy is going to come and go that, and it's going to change constantly. So keeping up with that and being smart about how you structure things, but you know, housing is always going to be in demand. It's always going to be something that the government is going to subsidize with depreciation. I mean, that's a good thing because if the government didn't, then the government would be building projects. And when we call housing projects, government projects, that's a disaster. So, I mean, things like that, your fundamentals, when you look at the fundamentals, like people are freaking out recently because there's been a correction with crypto. That was basically just deleveraging by whales and their positions. And there, there was this attack on the system because whenever you have derivatives and you have a lot of leverage in a system, anytime you deleverage that, you're going to have a correction. That's exactly what happened. So people freak out. There was a lot of early baby trades. What I mean by that is a lot of people that had purchased recently in the last 30 or 60 days. And a lot of that, those are the ones that ended up selling. So if you look at the blockchain and you look at what's really going on, it's because people were trading. They were saying, I can make a thousand percent in five minutes or literally in a month like Dogecoin. And they're trying to do that with everything, but they don't understand anything that's going on. And the problem is most people don't want to do any work. So they say, I'm just going to chase. The chase will get you run over. It's a disastrous plan. You've got to do the work. Otherwise, you might as well just not participate because you're really not going to learn anything if you just go buy Bitcoin or you buy Dogecoin or Shintu or MILF or whatever you're buying. And that's what people are doing, whether it's in crypto or in real estate. People chase stuff. They have no idea what they're doing and they go off a cliff with the rest of the buffalo. And I also feel, Damien, that you always have to be providing value in some context or another, right? In order to ethically invest, in order to actually, you know, realize a long-term return. And when you just go buy speculatively in some of these, you know, one-off uh, coins, let's say maybe Dogecoin, I don't know if you call it a one-off coin or not, but, you know, it doesn't really feel like to me that you're providing a ton of value. You're kind of going almost with the herd. And when you see you know, your hairdresser and your cab driver and everybody talking about this Dogecoin and how they're investing three or five or 50 bucks or whatever it is into it, it kind of feels like you're going along with the masses. And I don't think anybody really knows what they're doing. That's what, most people, that's what most people do because they're looking for the headline. They're looking for the stock tip. People ask me all the time, which coin should I get? And I go, none. And it's like, what are you wanting to do? I mean, if you don't want to hold dollars, great, get some Bitcoin. But What's the next one that's going to go vertical? I have no idea. That's meme speculation. It's mass hysteria. And that's what, I mean, we've seen that a lot in real estate now. It's just really coming to the surface with some of these cryptos. I don't like the meme coins. I don't like them that very much at all because they really are screwing up the transition and the possibility for people to be a part of a solution for the financial system that is so toxic to people. I mean, like if you look at inflation, we had this incredibly goofy number that came out with CPI from the federal government of 4%, 4.2%. And yeah. I laugh and I go, it's 10 times that. You just look at whether it's lumber or produce, it's literally 10 times that, but they're lying. Why? Because they can't afford to have the rates actually shoot up to be what they are. It triggers all sorts of really big problems. The government can't pay the interest. They'd have to print and, and you turn into the Weimar Republic. They can't pay their pensions of government employees, millions of people that are on the public dole. All these things become problematic, but they just keep lying to us. So Here's another moral. Don't listen and trust the government, period. Because they'll tell you one thing, it's generally the opposite or nothing to do with it. And, but they'll make, and then they use the media. It's not even the mainstream media anymore because these systems like CNN or MSNBC, they're just people that have these systems and they're, it's like a way for them to manipulate the masses. That's not journalism anymore. It's truly not. You and I, this is journalism. This is like 
real people looking at real truth and real facts. So you have to be really careful about what you're paying attention to. And if you don't pay attention to anything except the crap that's being blasted at you, you know, from those news channels, you're in deep trouble. Yeah. Damien, the next question comes from Connor in Chicago. I believe Connor recently set up and funded his EQRP and he asks, how do you get going once you break out of your 401k and have this EQRP? What's the next step for someone in that phase? So my suggestion to everybody is get educated and surround yourself with people that are doing what you want to be doing. Because why? You're going to start doing the things that other people are doing if you're around them. If you get your money and you're in control, but all your friends and your family are all doing traditional 401ks, they're all going to work, they're not investing, they're freaked out about the stock market, you're going to tend to do what they do because you're not really going to have the confidence. So this is where masterminds are so powerful. You just basically go into a bubble. Like pick like the knights in the Indiana Jones movie. Choose wisely. Otherwise you're gonna, you know, it's gonna be a problem. But I always like having people around me that are doing the things because it makes me feel safer. And I'm not the only one. That's a primal instinct. We want to be around tribes doing the same thing because otherwise our primal brain says you're gonna be eaten by something if you go off and do something. And the reality is whatever you want to do, Connor is Really, there's the people around you that are doing it. And if they're not directly around you, they're one layer, one step away. Yeah, well, I think Connor's taking that exact action. He's actually in my mastermind group. It's a small accountability group of uh, several guys. We get together every week and talk about things like that. So yeah, Connor, when you're listening to this, there you go. Damien, next question comes from Jared in El Reno, Oklahoma. And this is a pretty educated question. I think he's read your book. And it's in context to the Safe Harbor EQRP, which I admittedly know practically nothing about. But he says, how does a small business owner with employees benefit from the EQRP if all the employees contribute the max amount? How do you benefit? Everybody has control. And so you're able to put your money in. If, if employees put the max in, it's not really going to change anything about the owner of the plan. The point of the Safe Harbor EQRP is it's the only plan of its kind that allows business owners to be able to be in control with their employees. Everything else, every other, other 401k that's out there, is, it doesn't give you control. So that's the real point of this. And then maybe one of the questions is, how does that work if all my employees are wanting to put in a bunch of money and there's profit sharing? That may be part of the confusion or the question. I think but, it is. Yeah. So, I mean, if you want to do profit sharing, it's up to the owner to decide how much profit sharing or how much matching you want to do. The original 19500 that each person can put in, that doesn't impact the owner at all. It's just the profit sharing. And that's totally discretionary up to the owner every year. So that's important to know. I mean, the bottom line with Safe Harbor is it's the only kind of, of retirement plan in America that allows all the employees, the owners to control their money, not just in stocks. Because I hear a lot of people that get confused by the system, big surprise. And the system says, oh, we have a self-directed 401k. And I'm like, no, you don't. You have the ability for people to buy individual stocks. That's not self-control. That's limited control. Self-directed is when you actually get to go invest in anything that's allowed by the code. That's true self-directed control. That's what the Safe Harbor EQRP is. Sure. Okay. Thanks for that, Damien. And then last question is just a general question that I hear quite a bit. I'm sure you get this too, Damien. And this is, what separates an EQRP from a self-directed IRA? It has to do with control, the amount of money you can put in. And then ultimately for a lot of people investing in real estate, it's the UBIT tax. So yes. very specifically, if you're investing in multifamily or houses and you use an IRA, most of the time there's debt, 60, 70%, 80% debt. And if you use an IRA, you're going to pay... 37% tax on the majority of the profit. With an EQRP, you're going to pay zero because it's exempt. Not to mention, you can put 10 times more money into an EQRP than an IRA. You're in charge of an EQRP as the trustee, whereas an IRA, there's always a custodian. There's always, there's no exception. There's always a custodian. 
in an IRA, you can't hold physical gold and silver. You can do that with an EQRP because you're in charge as the trustee. I mean, the list just goes on and on. You can borrow 50,000 out of an EQRP. You can't borrow anything out of an IRA. When you really compare these two, anybody that does an IRA is simply, I don't know, stuck in old thinking because there's no good reason when you look at the two. It's just like, why would you ever do that to yourself unless you just hate your money and hate yourself? <laughs> yeah. And the way I look at it is, I guess the self-directed IRA is a little bit better in terms of control than a 401k, but not quite as good as the EQRP. Yeah. There's, in terms of control, if you have the checkbook, that's one thing. If you don't have the checkbook, it's not a little bit less control. It's like night and day. Yeah, and you sure. actually control and do what you want to do. And then you can invest in assets and you get to keep all your money. Like It's truly just, it doesn't make any sense. But most people don't know any better. I mean, I didn't know any better in the mid-2000s. All I knew was IRAs. Had no mm -hmm. idea. I think it would be unfair to say, this is stupid. Why haven't you done this? Because most people don't even know. So once you do know though, and you do something that's stupid, then that makes you stupid. <laughs> sure. Well, Damien, there's a lot of regulation and policy talk on the table, uh, you know, things around like the 1031 exchange and of course, regulating cryptocurrency markets and things like that. Do you kind of see any risk in the future with things like the EQRP? Is it that risk? Is it always going to be there? Is there any need or urgency for people to get in while they still can? What's your thoughts there? So generally, what I would see happening is more regulation, more government, especially under this administration. The previous administration, we saw less and less government. We saw more red tape being cut. We saw more freedom happening. And people were all freaked out because they didn't like Donald Trump's tweets. But the reality is he was reducing government. Right now, we're in a full-on like explosion of government, which is crazy. So are we going to have more regulation? Yes. Are we going to have 401ks forever? Who knows? One thing I do know is that the government tends to act very slowly and they change things small. So one of the things that I would definitely encourage people to do is make sure you have a Roth EQRP. Why? Because if that goes away, which I think it will, they'll generally grandfather into things that they cut loose. They'll say, it's like an IRA that's inherited. It used to be that you could take an IRA that you inherited and you could keep it, grow it, spend it the rest of your life. Now you have to basically pull all the money out of it within 10 years. So anybody that had an IRA that inherited it before a couple of years ago, still got to keep it forever. So it's those type of things. They, they, a lot of very wealthy people who happen to also be politicians or friends with politicians, with their lobbyists, they have all these systems set up. So what they're going to do is they're going to say, okay, we got to raise money from the future, but we're not going to screw all the older wealthy folks that already have these things. So are they going to change? Yes. Is there's some potential for the 401k changing so that the wealthiest people, they don't have a better benefit. It would just be like a tax credit to this, you know, like, $5,000 tax credit to whoever that wanted to put money in. So I can see some of that stuff happening. It has to do with uh, President Harris. It has to do with her equity statement and her thinking that everybody should be equal. There's a socialist bent in a lot of the people that are making policy now, and they think that it's unfair. And so by government's force, we should make it fair. And basically, we're going to steal from people. Problem is, it doesn't work. That didn't work in Venezuela. It didn't work in USSR, it didn't work. I mean, it just doesn't work, but they're going to try it anyway because they think they're smarter this time, but they're not. So what can one do going forward in the next you know, near future, let's say 12 months to really make sure that they're doing the things right now that they should be protecting their future and also you know, investing now for the future? I think getting ahead of things like being a part of the crypto growth and what's happening, making sure that you're a part of it and spending time studying if you don't do that, you're just going to get run over and things are going to happen. There's going to be a war. It's already happening between centralized power with centralized digital currency from central banks, CBDCs, central bank digital currency, that kind of stuff versus Bitcoin versus other coins. 
And so educating your staff on that stuff, if you just go and say, I'm going to invest in real estate, but you don't really know why or how, like I love people that are investing in build to rent type of deals where you just, you know, you go invest in something that's the rental market is going to continue to grow. My guess is there's going to be more subsidies from the government. The, the danger right now is you have the government doing incredibly stupid things like eviction moratoriums. And then you have banks saying, oh, don't worry about paying us for the next year on your mortgage. So what's the perfect answer in a fake world full of manipulation from government? Man, stay nimble. Like the biggest thing is you've got to be willing to pivot. If you don't have the willingness or the ability to pivot, you're going to get run over by your own beliefs and your cognitive bias towards what you thought last year, which is now totally untrue. And that, so that's the biggest thing. It's not what you know, it's how fast you can learn. Yeah, sure. Damien, what are you doing with your own portfolio going forward? What's your investment philosophy look like these days? You know, how diversified are you? What are you involved in? So one of the things that I learned a long time ago through losing money was that I'm the world's worst trader. I do really well when I buy things and sit on them and I act like a farmer. When I go out and hunt and try to time things, it's a great way to make money. Just figure out what I'm timing and then do the opposite. And <laughs> it's really true. I saw a lot of people that were doing that. And I even played around and I reinforced my belief that I'm the world's worst trader. So in terms of portfolio, I really genuinely think that there is an opportunity of a lifetime in the crypto space. And I think with real estate, there's going to continue to be opportunity because for one, I actually think that rates are going to continue to go down. I think the government's going to keep pushing that and they're going to subsidize it. So natural market rates are not going to be going down, but the government subsidized rates are going to go down, which is going to further push things up and the frenzy is going to continue you know, until it pops. And all it takes is one snowflake. I'm not talking about the mainstream America, a bunch of snowflakes that are out there crying about you know, their feelings getting hurt. I'm talking about one thing that sets off an avalanche. And we don't know what that one thing is going to be. People say, well, what's the thing? I'm like, I don't know what the hell the thing is going to be. I didn't think it was going to be a pandemic last year. And that only created a problem for a month or so. And then on the surface level, everything's good. But the reality is it's not good. You just have to look around. Like there is a labor shortage. You can't get people to go to work. Why? Because there's too much free money from the government. But then no, people aren't willing to, you can't make things. Well, then it just drives prices up because there's not enough stuff, but there's all this money. And there's people that are just looking to consume. So it's a really confusing time, primarily because we don't have a free market. We have a government manipulated market. So I'm being really sensitive to that. I'm not jumping into things just because they're going up. That's one of the rules I have. Just because something's going up doesn't mean anything. The question is, where is it going in the next few years? Like, look, if you want a great model, other than perhaps Charlie and Warren, I'm talking about Berkshire Hathaway, except yeah. they're idiots in the crypto space, but they're brilliant with textiles and just fundamental investing. They're really great. They're just really terrible at, at tech. And unfortunately, tech is going to drive the future. Exponential technologies are going to take over. There's a renaissance in biology with things that are going on with CRISPR technology. Like all these things that are happening, they're tech-based. So yes, razor blades are going to continue to be used. Coca-Cola is going to be drunk. Seize candies. All these things that Buffett does, railroads are going to be pushing stuff around. So I get all that. But they're, if you're not looking and studying and learning new things about technology and changes, it's literally going to run you over and you're going to say, well, this is what I do because this is what I've always done. And it's not going to work anymore. What are some examples of one, what you could recommend in terms of investors and particularly the real estate space to incorporate this technology tsunami into their own lives? I mean, real estate kind of seems a pretty low tech, you know, it's sticks and bricks and mortar, and there's not a lot of technology being, you know, innovated in, in that space today. Make sure you've got like, you know, smart home systems and things like that, and technology with capital raising systems and things, but anything you see there? 
Well, I can tell you that one of the things that's going to disrupt people and they just don't want to do anything about it. And I hear it. So the real estate agency space is a very fat, juicy space, and it's going to be completely disrupted by Redfin, Zillow, these tech companies that are going to come in and make a very simplified user experience. Like I've bought plenty of houses I've never seen, places I've moved into and rented places. It wasn't there. I just rented them online. We're going to, the need for most agents, which are making a lot of money, and most of them, quite frankly, are useless. There are some great agents that provide insights, but that's going to be taken over by AI and, and that type of technology. So, you know, in terms of investing, I don't really have the perfect answer, except what's human tendency? Human tendency is we keep buying crap. It may, it's easier and easier than to buy stuff. We're going to need storage space. We're, you know, houses. I think you really can't go wrong unless you're overpaying for a house and then you have people that aren't going to pay you, but you're always going to need places for people to live. The question is, will the government allow it? I don't think the government's going to go after mini storage because like, what are they going to protect? Somebody's junk, a bunch of papers in a bin? Like that's not going to happen. Yeah. The problem is it's, it's getting very overheated. So there's also a niche, like if you look at real estate deals, there's a niche between about a million, million five and about 5 million because it's too big for individuals and it's too small for big players. And you don't have the economies of scale for it to really work because it's like a 30 or 50 unit or a 70 unit apartment. You can't really afford to have on-site everything. You've yeah. got to have part-time people. That's why there's a great rule. Like do your best to get hundred plus units so you can have maintenance full-time, property management full-time. So if you do these smaller ones, you're going to have a hell of a lot less competition you just have to figure out how to get the money together because most individuals still can't go and buy unless it's a C or D property. And that has a whole, I would stay away from that stuff unless you're really intelligent around the area. I think people are getting themselves in a whole lot of trouble saying, oh, I'm investing in this thing. It's going to double in value going from a C minus to a B. I'm like, it's in a damn war zone. That's a D property. What are you talking about going to a B? Just because it's got really new paint doesn't mean anything. You're not moving yeah. it into a B because of new paint and new sidewalk. People are shooting each other in the neighborhood. That it's is grass. You put granite countertops in there, but still it's, you know, by the That's airport right. and it's in a terrible location, right? Like congrats to the countertops, but it's not changing things. No, being mindful of that. When I see a lot of pitches, it's funny because I've seen projects that like very, very successful people, like people like Kenny McElroy and people like that, that will sell projects. And then those projects show up being circulated for somebody that's trying to raise money for it. And it's the junk that the best investors in the country are selling off and somebody else is pitching it like they're going to double the value. And I crack up and I go, if one of the best investors in the country has squeezed everything out of this thing and you think you're going to double it, but people buy into it because they don't do any homework. And that's, yeah. so one of the best investments you can make is the one you don't make. I just turned down a, a deal last week and the guy was telling me he was going to make 22 to 30% in six months and he could keep doing this over and over again. And I said, how are you going to do this? And he's telling me his whole plan. I talked about this on FU last week. And it was this pitch and it sounds very exciting because you're like, wow, at least 22% in six months, you compound that. You're talking about 60 to 100% a year. And he's, it's like, and he's no risk. So when you hear no risk, we've got secret sauce, we've got algorithms, we already have $200 million in play. We can take this to a billion or 10 billion. Like I'm hearing all this stuff. It's like the idiot that says, all we need is 1% of the China market. And then we'll make this into a billion dollar company. And I was like, you're the dumbest person that's ever, well, I mean, you're just like the dumbest person today, but it's those type of things. And this is the value around being in masterminds and around people that are bald or gray or more experienced that have been through cycles because you hear the same dumb stories. And all I go is, you're just new. I mean, I get you're pitching, but you're a moron. Then it's a bigger moron that says yes to you, but they're just hopeful and they trust you. And so I want to slap the fool out of them when they're trying to rip people off. But these are just giant Ponzi schemes, so many of them. 
And you have to have people and you have to be willing to say no. You should say no at least 90% of the time, probably more like 95 to 98. And I see people and they're like, yeah, I looked at two deals and I bought one. I'm like, oh my God. What, yeah. What? Where they say, I, this deal is so great. I'm like, well, how many have you looked at? Well, just this one. It's, it, you know, I saw this and I like the person. I'm like, okay, you're about to have an experience called a seminar where you lose your money and you're like, what just happened? But that's what people are doing. So it just being patient, taking action, but being patient is, it's a critical combination and, and people skip it because they're so anxious. Like, I got to do something. I got to do something right now. Yeah, good idea. If you want to depart, you and your money want to depart. <laughs> sure. And yeah, I, I love what you just said there, Damon. You've got to be patient yet take action. And that's, it's a really like fine line to balance, right? I find myself struggling with that, like saying no to deals after you've spent, you know, hours or days or weeks analyzing them and doing due diligence. And then to have to say, no, it just doesn't work. Or here's my best and final offer. And you know, it's not going to, you know, make the cut that it's kind of hard. It takes a lot of discipline, but at the same time, I always remind myself, like, I'm not doing deals just for the sake of doing deals. Like I only do great deals. I don't do good deals. I don't do moderate deals, only great deals. That's like choosing to marry somebody because they have a pulse and because you can get laid every once in a while. It's like, oh, I got a good relationship. I got a little sex and they're nice. Like that's a stupid reason to get married. You go for somebody great. That's a great fit. I mean, I had, I see all these people that are like giving me rationale on why they're doing things. Oh yeah, this is a great deal. And I'm like, you're an idiot. And they go, what? And by the way, this is how I talk an F you because I just, I don't yes, have to, do. have to <laughs> for it. I'm not going to waste time, my time or your time sugarcoating something. I'm not going to kind of sort of anything. I'm going to say exactly what I think and what I see based on my experience. When I had a deal that I spent almost two years on and about $200,000 doing due diligence. It was an apartment development in Colorado a couple of years ago. And I killed it the day before we were sending out the PPM. So we had all our legal docs. We'd been to the site numerous times. Investors had flown in. Like This thing was pregnant, man. This was like nine and a half months pregnant. It was more pregnant than it. I mean, it was just so well done. And I said, this is not the right deal. Why? Because a key piece of a deal is the management. In fact, if there's one thing that's more important than anything, it's the management. You can have, I've seen decks and I go, the management here has a collective 15 hours of experience in real estate. <laughs> and the deal looks good. The deck looks great. And all that is, is a pitch. The better the deck, the shinier the materials, the more you should run away. It's a golden rule. So I look at people that go, well, I'm invested in this thing because I've gone hard. I'm like, you've just got a boner over this thing and you just need to chill out, man. Stop taking the Viagra around your deals. Like you really need to be able to walk away and people get, they become obsessed and addicted. It's like a bunch of crackheads. I'm in my deal. My money's hard. I'm like, nah, you're just, you're like a teenager, like an 18 year old boy. You're going to go nail anything that has a pulse. <laughs> I love it. Well, Damien, you kind of your crystal ball here. Where do you see the environment in the next say 12 months? Do you see the economy continuing to inflate? Do you see deflation on the horizon? Do you see things getting better, getting worse? What's your kind of crystal ball telling you? I think you're going to see prices continue to do what they do in terms of like commodities with food and lumber. I think there's, there's pent up demand for a lot of these things. There's so much money sloshing around. It's going to chase a limited amount of supply. So I think you're going to see that. The reality is we've pumped up this thing, the show dog. So it's real, real pretty. But the problem is it's still full of gas. And eventually somebody's going to poke that thing and it's going to deflate. And we don't know how long that's going to take. Nobody really thought that the central banks and the federal government would print at this level. Very few people were out there saying this. I have friends at a big deflationary camp and I go, we all expected you got to have things come back down. Well, right now there's this grand experiment around, we can just call it modern Marxist theory or modern monetary theory. We're just going to print and go, look, hey, nothing happens. Yeah, it's because you're lying, you assholes. Like you literally are telling people 4% and it's 40%. 
So are they going to keep doing it? Yeah, absolutely. Nobody is putting brakes on. We had a president that was willing to push back. We don't have anybody pushing back right now. And if they do, they don't have any power. So I think we're just going to take this ride. It's going to keep going for quite a while. And we could go on a year or two or five or 10. I mean, Japan was basically in a zombie economy for 30 years. Yeah. So could that go on? Yeah, but I don't, I think it, the problem is it's accelerating. So over the next 10 years, right now, what we're seeing is the beginning of like the Weimar Republic. We saw prices, not 4% up, but like I said, 40% up. And when they do that, that's the beginning stages of a hyperinflationary environment where you go 20, 30, 40% up. And then the next year, it's 30, 40, 50, 60% up. And then all of a sudden, it goes 1,000%. And then you have Zimbabwe or Weimar Republic with bear. Like This is legitimately what's going to happen because you can't print and have somebody really wanting the dollars. They're going to say, I don't trust the dollar. When people lose trust in the dollar, because like I remember my drink a year ago that I go to this juice shop and it was like nine bucks. Now it's 12. Okay, that's 35, 40%. I mean, when those things are happening and it's going to happen again. So over the next year, we're talking about getting close to doubling what it was in 2020, early 2020, late 2019. No, we can't afford that. We have wage growth because there's inflation in that space, but it's because the government's been giving people money and we have 7 million people that aren't in the labor pool. Well, if you take all those people out, then the people that are going to work are demanding more. And as business owners, you're like held hostage by these idiots in the government that are printing money. So the artificialness, I mean, you can never overestimate how stupid the government will be. And I think they're just going to continue amazing and wowing us with their level of moronness. Yeah. Well, Damien, let's wrap up here with a little scenario. Let's say somebody has, let's say, $150,000 sitting liquid in a checking account, looking at their next move. They're interested in real estate. They're interested in cryptocurrency. They're interested in not losing their money to inflation. What's one to do? What's your kind of uh, go-to advice for someone here? Don't get in a bubble around one thing. Meaning the advice is make sure you're listening to, to different parties' opinions. It's like listening to Peter Schiff versus Harry Dent, you know, talking about hyperinflation versus hyperdeflation. You really want to understand and then think. So the one thing you can do is have a brain and think through things by getting yourself around. It doesn't matter with the, if you have, you have 150,000, I don't know what you should do with that other than yes, you should always have five to 10% in metals, but beyond that, and that's just, there's a sense of security around having real money, authentic money that can't be manipulated. And that's what gold and silver are. I would definitely learn about Bitcoin. Why? Because it's scarce. It's more money than the US dollars. People say, well, no, people aren't spending Bitcoins. I'm like, because they're worth more. And they're likely to be worth 10 times more in the next few years. So yeah, are you going to really want to spend those? No. Do you want to spend your dollars? Yes, because they're worth less and less. So if you have 150,000, just understand if you don't do anything and it sits there, you're going to have 100,000 in purchasing power in a couple of years. Yeah. Well, Damien, great advice. It's always good talking with you. I love the kind of the back and forth, the quick natured uh, advice you've got. And you're one of these people I always look to in the space. So I had these questions. I knew I had to get you back on. Hey, if people want to learn more about you or the EQRP or any of these things we've talked about, where's the best place for them to look you up? Go to the site, eqrp.co, eqrp.co. Okay. And learn, poke around, get a copy of the book. We'll send you a copy of the book. Guess what? We don't even charge you for shipping. It's Yeah, it's and you've the got the texting number still set up, right? Yep. Yep. You can text us if you want to get a copy of the report. It's EQRP to 72,000. And, and so if you're on your phone right now listening or your phone's three inches away, which everybody's phone is, mine's actually seven yeah. inches away, and <laughs> text the number, text the word EQRP to 72,000 and we'll get you a copy of the report that sums up at least the EQRP stuff so you can get insights there. That's one of the greatest hidden tools that's in plain sight and now you know about it and you really should take action on it. That's the eqrp.co, or you can text eqrp to the number 72,000 for a free report. 
Damien, thanks so much for coming on the show today for the fourth time. Let's get you back on for the fifth time in the near future. Until next time, thanks so much. Thank you for having me. Take care, Damien. That wraps up this week's episode with our guest, Damian Lupo, on the show for a record-setting fourth time. Hey, it's always good having Damian on the podcast. I love catching up with him and bouncing new and interesting topics off of him, especially when it comes to personal finance, economics, all those good things. And thanks so much for sending in those questions. If you want someone on the show, just reach out. Let me know if you ever have any questions you'd like me to bounce off of our guest. You can do that. You can connect with me either on social media, I'm most active these days on Instagram, or you can reach out on the website at www.jacobairs.com. Hey, until next week, engineer the lifestyle you want. You've been listening to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, providing you actionable content to build your real estate empire. Nothing on this show should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for personal advice. The opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have a potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom, LLC, exclusively.